It's Live in the Bream with the host of Fox News Sunday, Shannon Bream. I am so excited to welcome back to Live in the Bream today, um, a friend of ours at Fox News, um, one of our family, and also somebody you all will recognize from many other places. He is Dr. Robert Jeffress, the pastor of First Baptist in Dallas. Um, He has done so many things. He's written new books, uh, tons of books, which we're going to talk about his new book. Um, But he also does Pathway to Victory. If you listen to the radio, you've seen him on TV, a powerful program sharing God's truth and love all over the world, I think it's fair to say. Pastor, welcome back to Live in the Bream. Oh, great to talk to you again, Shannon. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's talk about a couple of things. Um, First of all, we saw last week that this country, over the last couple of weeks, became very soft-hearted about matters of faith and about prayer. In the case of DeMar Hamlin, the young football player who's had a miraculous recovery from his injury and collapse on the field, Um, But it was a beautiful thing to see people all over the place say, let's stop, let's pray. We know even though a lot of people are losing um, their affection for maybe organized religion, they do still believe there's a God of the universe who can impact and change our lives. Well, that's right. And it's instinctive. I mean, what we saw happen on that football field, I mean, it was a powerful reminder of the power of prayer to a world that, quite frankly, Shannon, needed some reminding of that. I mean, you know, in recent days, prayer has come under attack. Uh, If there's a school shooting and people say we're offering our thoughts and prayers, the left derides that as something that's worthless. Uh, I couldn't help but think about a few years ago, Coach Kennedy, who gets fired for praying on a football field. And yet when a tragedy hits like this, you've got NFL players automatically dropping to their knees and talking to their creator. And I think, again, it's God's way of saying, as DeMar said, himself. I really am real and I'm here to help you if you'll have the faith to ask me. Yeah. And and the interesting thing is like you touched on the Coach Kennedy case, which I covered for years, you know, back and forth to the Supreme Court, this high school football coach who had wanted to pray by himself on the field after games. And the school district was worried about that. It would look like there was some type of official government endorsement of religion and um, they didn't want him to do it. And there were, you know, worries about the entanglement. But it seems like when we're in real crisis, when we're really searching for something bigger than ourselves, when we desperately need help, um, that most of us are willing to admit there is a place we can go for some hope and some help. That's right. And, you know, Shannon, this is not only a reminder to Mar Hamlin of the power of prayer. Uh, this story is a reminder of the fragility of life. I mean, think how amazing it was that he got struck at the wrong millisecond between the electrical uh, uh, impulses of the human heart and he collapsed because of that. I mean, think about it. Who gave that electrical impulse, that cycle that keeps the heart beating? How has it been passed on from human being to human being uh, throughout thousands, tens of thousands of years? I mean, that's an argument for a creator to whom we're all dependent, whether we know it or not, for every breath we draw. And so there are a lot of positive lessons, I think, that come out of this remarkable story. 
Yeah. And I mentioned that um, we see people who are walking away from organized religion, whatever it is, um, feeling a bit disillusioned, especially young people. They're very much searching and church attendance is down among younger people. I got to say, though, a lot of the younger people that I have conversations with about religion, they're not turned off about faith or about God. It's the organized part that many of them struggle with. Although, you know, you and I as Christian believers feel that we're called to gather together and to encourage each other and meet together. What are you seeing in the church? Well, you know, uh, my mom used to have a great saying. She said, the miracle of Christianity is that it survived the Christians. <laughs> and I think That's true. That it is true. And look, the church is imperfect. It's filled with flawed people. And I'm certainly one of the most flawed. But the church is God's plan uh, for nurturing, encouraging uh, other believers. You know, I saw something on Drudge uh, a couple of weeks ago, Shannon. There were two stories. One story was about how church attendance has hit an all-time low. The next story right underneath that was how uh, emotional disorders are at an all-time high, <laughs> feelings of isolation, of loneliness, of depression. I don't think that's an accident or a coincidence. We need each other. I tell people, you know, we're kind of like those two porcupines in northern Canada that huddled together to keep warm. They <laughs> needed each other, even though they needled each other. And we're kind of <laughs> like human beings. We get on each other's nerves. You know, there are things in the church we hate. But in the end, we need each other. And that's why the verse you alluded to, the writer of Hebrews said, uh, let us consider how to encourage, stimulate one another to faith and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together, as has been the habit of some. And I think as a result of this pandemic, Shannon, a lot of people got into the habit of not gathering together. Mm -hmm. And I think it had a great and a but really a very negative effect on the spiritual health of our nation. The pandemic may still be out there, but I think it shouldn't be a detriment to Christians coming together. Yeah. And I know your church was one of the first places that, you know, really came up with very specific guidelines to make sure that anybody who did want to come back could come back. And I think it was definitely one of the things I noticed the most that was that made the pandemic for me the most difficult was not being able to get to those, you know, weekly services. Um, you and I obviously believe that we, our faith, you know, we live it seven days a week, but there's something about that gathering together and sharing the burdens and singing a hymn together or whatever it was that does join us together. So um, hopefully a little bit of what people witnessed with the DeMar Hamlin story as he miraculously now is home and recovering um, will inspire, inspire and encourage them to think again about the positive things about faith in our society and in their lives. Um, I want to mention this new book that you have out, What Every Christian Should Know, 10 Core Beliefs. Um, you are a prolific writer, and I very much enjoy your books. Why this one? And do you feel like we kind of need a reminder? As you said, I mean, Christians are the biggest flaw in Christianity. I mean, we're the right. ones who sin and need help and hurt each other and make bad decisions. Um, what is this about, this book? Shannon, every poll we see indicates that 
more and more Christians are abandoning belief in the basic core doctrines of the Christian faith, whether it's what they believe about the Holy Spirit or salvation or heaven and hell. Every month, it seems like we have fewer and fewer Christians embracing those core beliefs. And I think the reason is Christians aren't hearing those core beliefs taught from the church. You know, the Bible says the church is supposed to be the pillar and support of the truth. And so I thought it was time to revisit the 10 core doctrines of the Christian faith that make Christianity what it is and differentiates it from every other religion. And so this is a really a book about the basics, what every Christian should know about the Bible, about what every Christian should know about Jesus Christ, what every Christian should know about the Holy Spirit, and so forth. And it's not written in a dry doctrinal way, but it's filled with practical applications, what this truth means to us. Us. For example, I mean, the chapter about what every Christian should know about God. We talk about the attributes of God. You know, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. Well, what difference does that make in my life? Well, knowing that God's all-knowing, that he doesn't slap his forehead and say, oh, no, I can't believe that happened to Shannon or Robert. What am I going to do? The fact is God knows our future because he's planned our future. I mean, every doctrine of the Christian faith has a practical application to it. So I'm hoping this book, What Every Christian Should Know, will help Christians go back to the basics that have made Christianity what it is. I think it helps to give us a better understanding and foundation in our faith, but makes it easier to share it and explain it to others too, because there are many difficult questions about religion, about faith, about Christianity that um, sometimes we don't spend a lot of time really digging into. So we can help ourselves firm up our faith and be able to share it with others. I love too, that it's got a, a workbook, a study guide. I love a good study guide. And that way you can do it with other people too. Right. We're having a lot of churches that are choosing to use this as their curriculum for small group Bible studies or for uh, Sunday school studies. And so uh, it's easy and you can get both the book and the study guide at Amazon or any e-tailer right now. Okay. I want to also talk to you. You have um, obviously been very open about um, you know political things in the past. You've been adv an advisor to former President Trump. He's announced that he's running again. There are a lot of people. I think it's going to get very crowded very quickly in 2023. I know former Vice President Pence is going to be visiting with you as well. Um, talk about this idea that some people have that politics and religion should not mix. We shouldn't have politicians in our pulpits or in our churches. And some people have discomfort with that and why you think it's important to have them there for conversations. Well, I believe that our faith ought to impact every part of our life, our work life, our family life, not just what we do one hour on Sunday mornings. And it also ought to impact the leaders that we choose. Look, leaders uh, determine the policies of a nation and the policies of a nation determine the spiritual and moral direction of that nation. And so, you know, it's like John Jay, the first chief justice of the Supreme Court said, God has given us the privilege of choosing our leaders. And, you know, in biblical times, you didn't get to choose the king or the emperor, but God has given us the ability to choose the direction our nation is going to follow. So I think we have a responsibility to be that salt and light in a dark and decaying culture that Jesus commanded us to be. And, you know, I'm not interested in partisan politics. 
people ask me because I didn't immediately endorse President Trump after his announcement. Are you uh, turning away from Trump? Not at all. Uh, but my feeling is I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I'm a Christian who votes according to my biblical principles. And I've decided to stay out of a Republican primary fight. Let Republicans figure that out. But once the general election comes, I'm going to support the candidate that I believe most closely embraces biblical principles. We'll have more Live in the Bream in a moment. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, read a book, show up for a friend? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash bream today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash bream. Let's talk about Vice President Pence. Um, you know, I can say years ago when President Trump ran the first time, um, there's one particular person who told me that they weren't sure that they would be able to vote for him. Evangelical, very involved in church 24 seven, their faith is the number one thing in their life. When he put Pence on the ticket, this person said to me, now I'll vote for him. I mean, <laughs> Pence was, you know, the closing, the closer for a lot of the evangelicals out there. Cause they were skeptical about president Trump. Now, many of them have split over this question of president Trump. Some of them will say they love his pro-life policies, his judges, the things that he did. Um, others will say issues of character. I can't vote for him. Mm -hmm. So we get back to this evangelical question. I know that the evangelical community feels like they know and trust Mike Pence in large part. So where does the evangelical community go this time around? Um, again, not knowing how many other people are going to get into this mix who may also be um, you know, describe themselves as evangelical or somebody who would be uh, sympathetic to their po political concerns. You know, I have to tell you a funny story. Right after the 2016 election, uh, a few weeks after that, I was in New York and dropped by to see President-elect Trump at Trump Tower. And we were talking and he said, have you met Mike Pence yet? And I said, well, no, I haven't. He said, well, he's right down the hall. Let me call him in. So he was waiting for him to come. And he said to me, you know, Robert, Mike Pence is tremendous. He's opposite me in every way. <laughs> and, oh. I, <laughs> and I think that's part the genius of Donald Trump. He selected a running mate who didn't uh, duplicate his strengths, but complemented his strengths. I think they made a great uh, ticket, a great administration. They accomplished much for evangelical Christians. I told President Trump a couple of weeks ago, I said, no person has done more for evangelical Christians than you did in your four years in office. I think there are a lot of Christians who appreciate that and will remember that. I don't know whether Mike Pence is running or not. I'm not sure he's decided for sure whether he's running or not. But I think uh, evangelicals will have to make a discussion, you know, a, a decision between those two and perhaps others as well. And, um, you know, I think and here's what I really believe. I think. 
President Trump and Mike Pence respect one another. I think they had an honest but very real disagreement about January 6th. And I look in the Bible, I saw even Paul and John Mark, you know, had an Mm -hmm. honest uh, division and a parting of ways. Uh, Mike Pence says about their parting, said we had an amicable parting. And uh, I think uh, sometimes that happens and the voters are going to have to make up their own mind. Well, so where do you think we go? What will be top issues? Um, you know, for people that come through your church or other, you know, large meetings that want to speak to specific voters, um, what are the questions you think that uh, folks in your church will have? Well, look, evangelicals have some common interest with non-evangelicals and non-Christians. I mean, evangelicals are concerned about crime and border security and inflation. And I think those things will certainly uh, take a, a front row in their consideration. But there's some unique issues for evangelicals, and that is uh, certainly the sanctity of life and religious liberty. I think only naive and evangelicals would say, well, we've got, you know, three Supreme Court justices who are conservative, uh, that's all we need. Well, guess what? Justices die and retire. Uh, Federal judges die or retire. And uh, I think uh, a commitment to a conservative judiciary, to pro-life judges, will be a continued uh, concern for evangelical Christians. Well, and speaking of the Supreme Court and, you know, cultural issues, we had Roe, uh, we watched as that was overturned last year uh, in the Dobbs decision. And yeah. it's interesting now to watch the fallout because that sent so much of these decisions and the policy making about abortion to the state level. So we see now a lot of state level legal issues and um, some places more restrictive, some places more access to abortion. Um, it certainly didn't resolve the issue. Um, in some ways, it feels like the issue of abortion is more unsettled than before. I mean, what's your take of the fallout and and as the states try to make their own decisions on this now? You know, I talked to President Trump just a couple of weeks ago, and he said to me privately what he has said publicly. So I feel I'm all right in saying it. We were talking about the effect that the the Dobbs decision had on the midterm elections. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't so much the Dobbs decision, but uh, some of the uh, bills and state houses that have come up. And he said he felt like that. He said, he said, Robert, you'll probably disagree with this, but I think that it hurt the the Republicans in the midterms. I said, no, I don't disagree with you. I think you've always said that it's a complex issue. Uh, the polling says most Americans do not embrace a no exceptions for no any for no reason um, uh, policy on abortion uh, before you know, the Dobbs decision, 62% of Americans were against overturning Roe. So I think he was making a political analysis. He wasn't saying that Republicans were wrong in doing that. He said there was a price to pay. And uh, I still said, I believe you did the right thing in appointing three pro-life justices and uh, God rewards making those right decisions. So uh, I think you're very right, Shannon. It's a volatile issue, Um, the whole issue of are there any exceptions to abortion? I think it's going to be debated among the American people, uh, and uh, we'll just have to see what happens. 
And what do you make of the criticism? First of all, you know that there are people, I'm sure you've heard from them and I have from within the pro-life world who were not thrilled about his comments that seem to be laying some of the midterm non-red tsunami uh, at their feet versus his. Because, you know, people will say he endorsed candidates that didn't do well in the general and they felt it was a bit of a deflection for him to say, well, it's the abortion issue. So, you know, those you know, tensions that are out there with folks thinking about that. But there's also this other conversation that, you know, many on the left will say um, the pro-life folks, they just want to get the baby out of the womb. Then they don't care what happens to the baby or the mother. Um, And that's been a real criticism. Um, A lot of organizations out there who have been doing work in the pro-life field, um, they've got new obligations and new responsibilities, I think, to prove that they are going to step into that gap. Are you seeing that happen? I am seeing that happen. And I think uh, it's unfair to paint all pro-life people like myself and others as not caring about life outside the womb. I mean, frankly, that's one of the reasons uh, I supported the vaccine. I said life is sacred inside and outside the womb, and we ought to do everything we can to protect it. I think we do have a responsibility to provide basic levels of health care for everybody to help them. I mean, that's why I'm not, you know, um, uh, always uh, walking in lockstep with the Republican Party. Uh, So I think we need to be consistent in that. And I think most pro-life people are consistent in that. And Shannon, let me be very clear about something. Uh, I believe there was a price to be paid at the midterm elections uh, for a pro-life position. But who cares? I mean, we don't decide what's right and wrong by polls or even election results. It's by God's truth. And God says his truth is established forever in heaven. So I'm very pro-life, but uh, I do real I think we need to be realistic like President Trump is and understand there is a price to be paid for taking that position. Well, we will see how this plays out in the uh, election season ahead. It's never really over, as we all know. We'll see who else joins the former president in this GOP primary race as well. Um, Pastor Jeffress, his most recent book is What Every Christian Should Know, 10 Core Beliefs. Thank you for your time. We always appreciate chatting with you, especially here on Live in the Bream. Well, great to be with you, Shannon. Thanks so much. God bless you. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.